Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. The current series being explored is titled Summer in Psalms. Today's episode may pique interest for anyone who's experiencing feelings of discouragement, disappointment, frustration, or a desire for increased happiness and joy. Then the psalm for you in these circumstances is Psalm 73. This particular passage acknowledges that everyone encounters periods of despair, often when their attention is not centered on God. However, it emphasizes that it is possible to choose delight when you engage with God. Today's episode, Despair or Delight? You choose. Here's Senior Pastor Brian Jones. Well, good morning, Brookwood. I don't know about you, but I love what God is stirring in this community. And I was just talking to someone right after the, the first service. He said, I don't know what's going on just during worship. He said, I usually just sort of stand there and I just felt prompted to raise my hand and just felt the spirit of God. And so I just want to encourage you what, what God is. He's a mighty God, but he's also a personal God. We believe that. And so what happens is in his unique ways, he speaks to us. Sometimes it's little promptings like stand up and Raise your hand. Sometimes it's join a re-engage group. Sometimes it's take me seriously. Sometimes it gives you something from the message. But I just want to encourage you as we're singing that line, may your kingdom come. I really believe God's kingdom is coming in a unique way, but we just have to be available. So whatever that is, just be available to that. I also want to encourage you this morning that uh, on Friday, I got the opportunity to stop by and support our kids at, and students at one camp. And uh, it was a great time. It was uh, middle of nowhere, Tennessee, Ocoee, Tennessee. And uh, there were two things I was struck by as I went to that camp. The first is you cannot underestimate the smell of that room. <laughs> Middle school, high school kids that not bathed for two days. I was thinking it smells like Cheetos and puberty in there. You know, it's just a <laughs> whole lot of stuff going on. But also as I was driving, I just had this simple thought. The future is very bright. Future is very bright. And uh, I, I took a quick little photo because I know not all of you could be uh, at camp or some of you don't even know that our kids and students are at camp. But I just wanted to give you a little snapshot of, of what's happening, uh, the spirit of worship in that room. So just check out this quick little video that I took on my phone on Friday night. Isn't that encouraging just seeing what guys... Oftentimes as a youth pastor, the kids would talk about the games and all that stuff. And so sometimes you just miss the depth of what's happening spiritually in those places. And so I just want to encourage you with this. I've been praying for our students. And I've been praying for you as well. That, you know, the culture seems like it's darker than it's ever been, doesn't it? I mean, you just feel like the sexual ethics, I mean, even the division in the church. Have you noticed how hostile Christians are with one another? And it just feels like there's more division than ever before. And, and I don't know many people that would argue that America seems to be getting better. But I think there's another truth that if we don't just, if we stop right there, we miss. And this is the other truth I was struck by as I saw our kids worshiping and I was praying for you as a church uh, this, uh, this week, is that light shines brightest in the darkest places. Amen. So it might mean that there are cultural darkness that we've never seen before, but that also means there is a possibility of impact for the kingdom of God that we've never experienced before or seen before. So I have been praying for our kids, I've been praying for you, that you just be open and available to what it is that God has for you, maybe even this morning. Now, uh, the text I'm looking at today, we're in the third week of Summer in the Psalms. Isn't it crazy that summer is almost over? Uh, well, we are in the third week. I know it's a lot of people are back, getting ready back to school, but we're in the third week of Summer in the Psalms. And uh, we're looking at this passage in seven, Psalm 73. It is one of my favorite passages. 
Because one of the reasons I think this is such a rich passage is for years going to church, I don't know about you, but I used to fake and pretend like everything was great. I used to project a certain image. But what I love about this psalm is that church was never designed to be a place where you act like everything's great. Church is designed to be a place where you come as you are. You're honest about your struggles and your doubts. That's one of the reasons I love Brookwood. In fact, I almost feel like a, like a hidden slogan of Brookwood is no perfect people allowed. Because all of us have our stuff. But what we're doing is we're just being transparent and honest. And as we do that, we find healing with God and with others. And why I love Psalm 73 is it feels like this man Asaph belongs at Brookwood. Because he's a guy who's not projecting. He's not pretending. He's actually struggling with some things. And so the title of today's message is Delight or Despair, You Choose. And the reason I've titled this message, Delight or Despair, You Choose, is because as Asaph gets honest and transparent about what he's journeying through, there are two things that he does that actually leads him towards discouragement and despair. But there's one thing that he does at the end that actually leads him to deeper levels of delight. Now, I would imagine that if I ask you guys, do you want any more delight or joy in your life? I don't know many people would be like, no, I'm good on that. All full on delight. But the, the problem with delight is this, you will not naturally gravitate or fall into delight. It's almost like the default setting of our lives is more towards despair or discouragement, which means if you're not intentional with delight, you're never going to find it. And, and one, of the, the, one of my favorite writers, a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones, who wrote a great book called Spiritual Depression, actually says this. He says, Christian people too often seem to be perpetually in the doldrums and too often given to the appearance of unhappiness and the lack of freedom and the absence of joy. There is no question at all, but this is the main reason why large numbers of people have ceased to be interested in Christianity. And so the stakes are really high for us to get this delight thing right, not just for ourselves, but for other people. Because our faith can be a roadblock to people if they see us miserable in despair and discouragement. Now, if you're in a place where you are frustrated, you're discouraged, you're disappointed, then I have good news for you. This Psalm today is really for you. But also if you're in a place where you'd say, you know what, life is actually pretty good. But you just have this sense that there is more joy and more delight to be extracted than I wanna encourage you. This Psalm I believe is also for you. Now, the writer of this Psalm I mentioned was a worship leader. He's one of three worship leaders for the people of God, the Israelites under the reign of King David. Uh, his name is Asaph. He was responsible for 12 songs, 12 Psalms. Uh, the first one is Psalm 50. Uh, the next one is Psalm 73 that we're gonna be looking at today through Psalm 83. And I hope this encourages you this morning because if one of the people chosen by God to lead the people of God is struggling, then that should be encouragement for us to be open and honest about where we are. But what I want you to see is there are two things he does that lead him towards despair and will lead us towards despair. The first thing that leads us to despair is when we are focusing on ourselves, when we focus on myself. And so listen to this, Psalm 73, one through three. It starts off really good and then he sort of falls off a cliff. Listen to this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Great start. But notice this. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. Notice why. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. 
Notice this, seven times in those three short verses, seven times, me, I, my, I, me, my, I. You think he gets better as he begins focusing on himself? You think that helps him spiritually? No, as he begins to focus on himself, he gets in this downward spiral of discouragement. And ultimately what led him to that, you see again in verse three, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That, that word there, prosperity, because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, that is the word shalom. It means wholeness. It means peace. It means abundance. It means joy. So suddenly he sees all the people out there and then he starts looking at himself. He holds the mirror up and goes, this isn't fair, God. He starts going, me, I, my. You can imagine his dialogue is probably something like this. God, I'm faithful to you. They're not. I'm the worship leader. You've chosen me. I know the Psalms. I know the Torah. I followed the 10 commandments. I tithe with my resources. I'm doing all these things, but I'm not advancing. I'm not having joy. I'm not having life. I'm not having the same opportunity. And what he does is he starts to focus on himself and it doesn't help him that much spiritually. Do you know what is at the center of pride? Any idea? Yourself. Think about it. Think about even the the word pride. P-R-I-D-E. It's at the center of that word. I is at the center of that word. And pride is really at the center of our problems of despair because it's us being fixed and focused on ourselves. And you can see that there are actually two forms of pride. Most people miss this. I want to show you this. Most people miss this, but there are two forms of pride. The first, a lot of people get this one. The first form of pride is this. It is an inflated view of self. It is arrogance or boasting. And so a lot of people, this is what you think of with pride. When I got back uh, home the other day, I, uh, my, my four-year-old daughter, uh, Gray, walked up to me and she said, Dad, guess what? She said, Dad, I'm awesome. <laughs> Which is really cute for a four-year-old. But when a 40-year-old walks around like they're awesome, it's not that cute, is it? And so th- there is a part that, that it robs us of deeper life, but it also robs you of the intimacy and it creates despair. But here's the other thing that I don't want you to forget. A deflated view of self is also pride. For years, I missed this. I thought, oh, it's the arrogant boasting person that has pride. But it's actually the person who also has deep insecurities and self-pity that is prideful because they are so focused on themselves. Because pride, again, is focusing on yourself. Humility is being emptied of yourself. It is a self-forgetfulness. And so notice what Asaph is doing. Woe is me. Me, my, I, my, my. God, I've been faithful. I'm the worship leader. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, you might be wondering, how are you doing with this area of focusing on yourself? Let me give you a practice that I absolutely hated. And I know that's not a great endorsement. Spend the rest of the day. Here's your challenge. Spend the rest of the day not talking about yourself at all. You open to that? Any extra credit people out there? (laughs) Spend, Spend two days not talking about yourself. I thought this isn't going to be that hard. I'm telling you, I had a fraction of the things to say. And you just catch yourself. You're about to go, oh, ah, God bless you. (laughs) It's like, you, you just, you find yourself. It is so easy. You are in a culture that is focused on you. It is designed to meet your needs. And that's great for culture. It's terrible for spirituality. And so what happens is he begins to focus on himself. And the problem with focusing on yourself isn't that it seems intrinsically evil. It just causes you to miss the miracles of God. 
because you're so focused on what is not going well. You know, there's actually an Old Testament commentary called the Midrash. And it's not something we believe is biblically inspired, but the, the Jewish people would study this and they would tell stories that connected to the Bible. And so one of the stories that was in this old Jewish commentary that was spoken about in Jewish communities is, you know, the miracle where the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. There's two, there's two men that are talked about in the Midrash that, that are crossing this Red Sea, a man named Reuven and Shimon. And the story goes that as they are crossing the Red Sea, as Moses is leading the people of God from slavery from Egypt, Reuven is just looking down. And he is quoted as saying, mud here, mud there, mud everywhere I go. And the story goes that not once did he look up and see the walls of water that were being parted because he was so focused on his circumstances that were right in front of him. Now, I don't know if that is 100% true, but here's what I do know is true. Isn't it so possible that many of us miss the miracles, the blessings, the goodness of God sometimes in our life because we are so focused on the circumstances that are in our lives? Me, my, I, I, my. All of us struggle with this. And so the invitation is just to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto something better. And so the problem with uh, Asaph here is he starts looking himself and then he moves to something else but the thing he moves to isn't much better because the second thing he does that leads him to despair and discouragement is he begins to focus on what others have. He begins focusing on what others have. And maybe said more bluntly, he begins to compare himself to other people, to focus on their blessings, their resources, their details. He's trying to keep up with the Joneses, no pun intended. But Psalm 73 says this, it's a, long, it's a long chapter, but notice what words he uses now after me, I, my. Verses 4 through 12. They seem to live such painless lives. Notice it already? They. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. And notice what this next part, don't miss this next part. These next three words, these fat cats. You see that? It's in the Bible. <laughs> these fat cats. Some of you think I'm picking on cats. <laughs> Beth's not happy. I'm, I'm not picking on them, Beth. God is picking on them right here. <laughs> I mean, this is biblical proof that God hates cats, right? I have a feeling I'm going to get a whole, what'd you say? Lion of Judah. Lion of Judah. Ah, some people are led astray. It's so difficult to, <laughs> to help people see the light. God, let's just move on. <laughs> All right, I have no idea where it was. Oh, here we go. These fat cats, thank you very much. Have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride... They seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. Their words strut throughout the earth. And so people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask. Notice this. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease with their riches that multiply. I counted 16 times. 16 times. They them, these, their, they, 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 they. 
Now, when he gets his eyes on other people, do you think that helps him spiritually? No. He starts going down this downward spiral because he starts to see that things aren't great. Now, uh, several years ago, my wife and I took our son Tristan to a cultural experience that everyone should go to one point in time in their life, the Texas State Fair. Anybody been there? Okay, a few of you. Went to the Texas State Fair. Everything there is fried. It's quite the experience. But when we were actually going to the Texas State Fair, my son was really drawn to those games where you play and if you, if you, you know, win the prize or do this, you can get one of those stuffed animals. And so my son begged us to play, we played, and I won a stuffed animal, despite the fact that it probably cost me $60 for a $10 stuffed animal. But he was happy. And for the first 30 or 40 minutes, I mean, he would hold this thing like it was some sort of precious gift. I mean, he would just embrace it. But do you know what the problem was? As time went on, he stopped looking at what was in front of him and what he had, and he started noticing all the other stuffed animals that other people had. And suddenly he started going, Dad, can we get that? Dad, can we start doing that? And I watched my son in this moment. For one moment, he was elated. And all of a sudden, the next moment, he's in despair because he doesn't have that particular toy, that particular prize, that particular thing. Because comparison will do that to you. Fast forward the next year, my, my wife and I go back to the Texas State Fair. You know that old saying they say that everything is bigger in Texas? Well, I don't know if that's entirely true, but I do have some proof that the stuffed animals are bigger in Texas because I got something the last year of the Texas State Fair. Look at this. Isn't that amazing? Things like life size. And I remember 30 minutes into being at the Texas State Fair, someone comes up to us and they go, we won this thing. Do you want this? I'm like, give me that, I'm gonna take this thing. And I felt like a winner for the first 45 minutes because I realized I had to lug that thing around for eight hours in the heat of the Texas State Fair. If that doesn't scream I love my children, I don't know what does, all right? And I don't know what it is. If you just, if you want people to come up to you, there's just something about a life-size giant corn dog that just brings people from the woodwork. I had people snapping photos of me, telling me their life story. I mean, there's probably photos floating around out there. But you know, there's just something about that. But you know, what's funny is my son was so happy. Why? Because he kept comparing his gift to everyone else. There was this one moment when he saw one stuffed animal that was slightly bigger. And I thought in my head, oh no, you don't. <laughs> but the point that I'm trying to make is simply this. Comparison is one of the greatest thieves of delight in our life. I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, the, the truth is there is a big difference between worldly delight and godly delight in there. Big difference. Godly delight is different from worldly delight because worldly delight is a de depreciating asset. It's a depreciating asset. Now, I've been in rooms like this where it's true. I'm not asking do a lot of us love Jesus, but isn't it true that there are many of us that come on Sunday mornings, we love Jesus, but there is something else on our mind. And there's no judgment. I've been, I've been in services before where someone else is preaching and I'm thinking about a power tool. And so there are times when we come into the worship service and we love Jesus, but our minds are just in different places. We're thinking about the promotion. We're thinking about the home. We're thinking about remodeling. We're thinking about life. We're thinking about the kids. We're thinking about a variety of different things. And if we're honest, some of us in this room, although we love Jesus, we know that there are things competing for our affections. Now, let me just say this. Imagine you could have that thing that you really wanted right now that is competing for your affection with Jesus. Do you really think that long-term it would make you happy? No, because the problem with worldly delight is that it's a depreciating asset. You have to have more of that thing 
You have to have more resources, more joy, more money, more promotions, more success, more power, because it doesn't last. And I realized that for years, I was chasing after worldly delight and kind of following God on the side. But godly delight is something else because it has compounding interest. I'm praying that, that some people in this room, even today, would awaken to the joy of God. He is not some slumped over angry God that's disappointed with every decision. In the presence of God, in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Joy that you could never imagine, joy that you couldn't think better than anything in the world. And so this invitation, you ever get around someone who's in their 60s or 70s and they've been following God and you can't explain it, but they have this joy. What they've done is they've had compounding interest as they begin to follow God and as they fix their eyes on him, there's a joy that continues to well up in their life. And so this is the invitation, but comparison will keep us from the life God has. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more than the next person. We say that, being, that, that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or clever or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. And so the truth is comparison really is the thief of joy. It is the thief of delight. And that's often how the enemy attacks us. You know, there's questions like, where is God? Or if God's so good, why are these things happening? That is an attack from the enemy to get your eyes off of God and onto yourself and onto other people. And it happens with Asaph here. And these aren't, you know, just like simple things. There are real things that he's struggling with. In fact, let me just show you those verses I read. Let me just show you what he's struggling with, just sort of spelled out and paraphrased. In verse four, he's struggling that their life is problem free. That the wicked are healthy. That they're living the dream that they're prideful and arrogant, that they get away with wickedness, that they're careless with their words, that they're prosperous in everything, that they're popular, that they blasphemy God, and that everything, everything, everything comes easy to him. And he begins to struggle. And so he sees that good, godly people are struggling with illness, they don't have favor, they're struggling financially, and then he sees these wicked people who are ultimately advancing and prospering, and it starts to create a downward spiral of discouragement. Now, I just want, I want to say this. I want to make sure that, that you guys hear this, because I think this could be one of the most important parts. But if you saw this, and you didn't know the end of the story, do you honestly think that Asaph would be a man who is filled with delight and joy if you read these first 20-something verses? You wouldn't. And so can I just encourage you with this? It is so easy to come hear things about the gospel, but not necessarily believe them for yourselves. Can I just say this? With the gospel, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And so oftentimes we are so aware of what we cannot do or the struggles that we face that sometimes we are unaware of what the gospel can do in our life. You cannot do anything, but God can do everything. And so let me just encourage you with this, because some people go, you know what, like I believe that God can do some things, but I don't know if he could take this temptation or this struggle and actually bring new power. Or you know what, I'm kind of an anxious person. I don't know if God could ever make me the kind of peaceful person that people go, what happened to you? You know what, I'm kind of a timid person. I don't know if God could ever make me bold for Jesus. 
You know, and people just have these, these limits I do sometimes and what God can do and what he can't do. And can I just say this? Let me just say maybe what might be the most important part of my sermon. You serve a God who's in the resurrection business. You serve a God who is in the resurrection business. So what he does is he specializes in taking people who can't and he does something so that he will get all the glory and renown. So people start going, if he can do that in your life, he can do it in mine. And so what he does is he takes people who are anxious and he gives them deep levels of peace. He takes people who are trapped in darkness and he gives them light. He takes people who are angry and full throttle and he gives them a gentleness that is beyond themselves. He takes people who are struggling and enslaved to sin and he gives them a freedom and joy that they never thought possible. He takes people who are weak and timid and he gives them a faith that is beyond themselves because we serve a God who's in the resurrection business. Amen? And so this is the invitation that you have to see is that Asaph doesn't just become someone who's in despair, just sort of like neutral and kind of happy. He becomes a man filled with delight. Why? Because that's what God does. He takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things. But how does that happen? How does that happen in your life? It's simple, but it is profound. Is suddenly what happens is Asaph stops focusing on himself. He stops focusing on other people and he starts focusing on God. Listen to maybe the most important turning point in this entire Psalm, Psalm 73, 16. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. What a difficult task it is. This might be the most important word. Then, then I went into the sanctuary of God and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Every day you wake up, I promise you, if you're anything like me, it'll be moments where it's like me, I, my, my, God, I'm doing this. God, I'm faithful. Why does this sickness thing happen? What's going on here? They have this. They're not even following you. They're cursing your name. I'm faithful. I'm a pastor. I'm at church. I'm doing this. And if you're anything like me, those moments will come up, but you have a then moment that is available to you. But then you get your eyes off of yourself, off of others. You get it on God. And what happens is slowly but surely, and I repeat, slowly but surely, this doesn't happen overnight. But the spirit of God will begin to change you where you will find a delight and a joy that you never thought possible. Erin Owens, who's on our staff, said this phrase when she was looking at this message and I think it summed it up great. She said, what we are called to do is we are to stare at Jesus and glance at our lives. Isn't that good? We're to stare at Jesus and glance at our lives. The problem is, if you're anything like me, I'm prone to stare at my life and glance at Jesus occasionally and then wonder why I'm discouraged. But the invitation from Asaph is this, get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes on God and watch the faith that wells up in you. Watch what God does. The spirit of God is prone to take people who are broken, weak, timid, afraid, angry, and turn them into mighty men and women of God. That's what he does. That's what he's done all throughout the Bible. And as Asaph gets his eyes on God, he sees two things. And maybe these two things are really helpful for you this morning if you're struggling with despair and discouragement. The first thing he notices is the justice of God, the justice of God. One of the problems that we have with despair and why we hold on to wounds and anger sometimes is this, we feel like evil is advancing and nothing's happening. And so we struggle with that. And so we want things to be right. We want things to be fair. We are focused on justice. We don't want things to go unsolved. Now, let me just say this. Uh, Growing up when I was in elementary school, and I repeat, when I was in elementary school, 
me say this one more time. When I was in elementary school, I would go over to my grandmother's house and I didn't get to watch the television shows I wanted to. We watched her television shows. And did I mention I was in elementary school? So here are the two shows we watched every single time I went over there. First was Dallas. And uh, that was actually like PG, which, to what she let me watch next, which was this, Unsolved Mysteries. Did I mention I was in elementary school? Unsolved, has anybody seen Unsolved Mysteries? If you're young, just go listen to the theme of Unsolved Mysteries. That'll give you nightmares. And so if you've seen it, the end of the Unsolved Mysteries, the, the sort of creepy host, sorry if you, if you like him, but he just sort of gets up at the end. And then it's like that background music that gives you nightmares. And he's all calm and serious. And he's like, if you have any information on these guys, please call 911. And then he ends with this phrase. If you see these folks, be on the lookout. They are dangerous and armed. And then the show ends and my grandmother turns it off and says, good night, sweetheart. And I've got you guys in this church trying to give me sleep advice, wondering why I don't sleep at night. It's because of my grandmother and unsolved mysteries, all right? Now, I remember, besides being terrified, I remember laying in my room, I mean, sincerely terrified, but I also remember for the first time, I mean, I was in elementary school, having this spirit of justice. I never felt anything like that before. I never seen the pain and the problems of the world, but as I watched this TV show at a way too early age, I started to realize there is a thing like justice and we all long for it. I long for it as an elementary kid. And we struggle when things are not fair, when there's not justice, when things go unsolved, when things go unpunished. Yet in this life, not everything gets solved the way we want it, does it? The truth is sometimes the crooked boss does not get caught. Sometimes the arrogant person doesn't get humbled. Sometimes you never hear those words, I'm sorry. Sometimes when you do the right thing, you do not get the reward. Sometimes the best person doesn't get the promotion. Sometimes, for no clear reason, a health crisis strikes. Sometimes liars get away with deceit, and sometimes the abusers don't get punished. And the problem is, is that oftentimes we long for this justice, and we have real wounds and real anger and real pain, and we think it's our duty to hold on to it because if we don't, they go free. But the problem is that doesn't set you free. It leads you down more of a cycle of despair and discouragement. And yet what happens is when you get your eyes off of your circumstances, and it doesn't mean you pretend like things aren't happening, but when you get your eyes off of your circumstances and you get your eyes on God, what you see is the justice of God. You see the justice of God. In fact, listen to what happens in verse 18. When he gets his eyes off of God, or off himself and onto God, Asaph sees this. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream. When one awakes, when you arise, you will despise them as fantasies. Notice that what he sees is doing the right thing gets rewarded. Notice what he sees, that God honors faithful followers and he takes care of the wicked and evils in this world. They don't stay unsolved. They get fixed. And so the invitation is not to pretend things don't happen. It's just to trust God and give him those pains. And so what happens is you move out of this cycle of despair because you know you can trust God. 
And what happens is those things that should destroy you and the enemy has planned to destroy you. And some of you, you know what it's like because you're carrying those wounds. And I'm telling you, God wants to set you free. It doesn't matter if you've been carrying them for 10 years. In a moment with Jesus, anything can happen because you serve a God of the resurrection. And what he wants to do is he wants to set you free and not just sort of make you neutral or kind of happy. He wants to give you delight beyond what you ever imagined possible. He wants to give you faith beyond what was ever possible in your mind so that people go, if he can do that in your life, he can certainly do that in mine. So God will get the glory and the honor. The second thing and the final thing that he sees as he looks at God, he doesn't just see the justice of God, he sees the goodness of God. Because it's kind of terrifying if you've got a God just with cosmic power who wants justice, but it's comforting if you also see the goodness of God, isn't it? And so he sees both of these things merged. In fact, listen to what he says in Psalm 73, 24 through 26. Notice the compassion of God. Yet I am with you always. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. And this is probably one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. What's interesting is, again, this is written in Hebrew. That word for may is actually best translated will. This is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. My flesh and my heart will, will fail. But God, notice this, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So this is not a man who had a bunch of delight in the very beginning. But notice what he says. He's filled with delight. You are my portion, my strength forever. There is nothing on this earth I desire. Do you see the shift in that? That's what happens when we get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our circumstances, and onto God. Slowly but surely, a faith wells up in us that we never could have imagined. See, I remember reading this and thinking, you know, the truth of the matter is a lot of people want to go to heaven. I got a lot of non-Christian friends that, that talk about heaven. They want to go to heaven. But here's the problem. Most people associate heaven with like pleasures and joys and fun and no suffering and no tears and no health crises, right? But the problem is those things are the byproduct of heaven. The central part of heaven is Jesus. That's the central part. And so it struck me this, this week as I was thinking about this. If I could have all the pleasures of this world, all the pleasures of heaven, all the joys of heaven, all the health of heaven, all the life and the activity of heaven, but I couldn't have Jesus, would I be content? Because a lot of people want heaven, but not a lot of people want Jesus. And so the invitation here is where are you at? Can you say this? I'll just, let me encourage you with this. Four or five years ago, I was a pastor and I remember reading this verse and I love Jesus. And many of you are probably in the room and you're going, I love Jesus, but I could not say this is true of me. I could not say, whom do I have in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire beside you. And you know what happened? I didn't project, I didn't pretend, I remember this. I just went into the presence of God and I said, there are some things I want more than you. I really want health. I want my kids to be safe. And honestly, God, I think there are times I want worldly success in the church more than I want you. And I'm just confessing that. And I got honest, I got transparent, I didn't hide. And I can tell you fast forward, slowly but surely, as I got my eyes off of myself and off of they, them, there, a delight welled up in me that I have never had before, never had before. 
And you might be in a spot where you go, you know what, this isn't true of me. I love Jesus, but there is, there, I can't say it with the determination and the strength of Asaph. Whom do I have on this earth but you? Who do I have in heaven but you? I desire nothing but you. And faith doesn't work with one foot in and one, for, one foot out. You cannot experience that kind of delight until you are fully committed. And I'm telling you, God wants to give you more delight, more faith, more power than you ever could. But you got to get your eyes off yourself. I remember, again, four years ago as a pastor going, this isn't true of me. And if you're in that spot, then I invite you in your own way. Tell God this morning, God, I want this to be true. And as you fix your eyes on him, watch a faith well up. As I close, let me just say this. There are two invitations that you have this morning. You can stare at Jesus and glance at your life and slowly but surely, faith will well up inside of you. Or you can stare at your life and ultimately glance occasionally at Jesus and you will find that at some point discouragement will well up. But my prayer is that you would fix your eyes on Jesus in ways maybe you never had that you would have a passion that wells up, that you would be available and you would watch the God of the universe take you to places, a place of delight, joy, power that was never possible before. And may he do that. As we close, let me just say this. If, if there's prayer you need, if God's stirring something in you, we love to pray for people. If you're in a place where God's stirring you to pray for someone else, then we would love to be able to pray for you. We're gonna, I'm gonna ask that care volunteers would come up as I close out. And uh, I'm just gonna pray over our time together. In fact, as I close, would you do this? If you're open and you feel like God's just calling you to get your eyes on him, I think there's something powerful sometimes that's just about responding practically. If you would, would you just open your hands like this as a way to say, Jesus, I'm focusing on you this morning. If you're open and as you are sitting in this room, if you're just saying, you know what? The Holy Spirit's inviting me to get my eyes off myself. Get my eyes off other people. And this morning, just take a fresh look at Jesus. If that's you, just open your hands and let me just pray a, a prayer blessing over you this morning. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the power of your word. God, I'm reminded of the Psalm where it says, some put their trust in chariots and horses but we put our trust in God. It is so easy to put our trust, to get our eyes on the things of this world. I pray today that you would well up a determination through the spirit to get our eyes on you, to be available to you. And I pray in the midst of that, you would take the struggles we have, the temptations we have, the worry that we have, and you would grow us up to men and women of faith. God, I pray that we would stare at you and glance at our lives. And so Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your blood. We thank you that because of you, that's where real transformation is possible. And I just pray faith and belief over everybody in this room that we would step into the deeper life that you have available to us. God, we love you. We thank you for worshiping this morning. We thank you for gathering. We thank you for the encouragement of meeting in this space. It is in your mighty, wonderful name we pray. Everyone agreed and said... Amen. Blessings to you. We'll see you next week. Here's this week's memory verse, Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. The term delight or its variations appear more than 200 times in the Bible, indicating its significant role. For a deeper understanding, examine Psalm 73 and identify the characteristics of God that are portrayed. Make a list of a number of blessings that you have received from him. 
This reflective exercise is aimed at enhancing your appreciation and delight in the goodness of God. Coming up in our next episode, we'll continue the series, Summer in Psalms, to prepare for each Psalm 19. We're grateful you joined us for the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Please leave a review so that others can discover how they can have a transformed life in Christ. Thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you during our next episode.